couple of things tonight, just uh, in terms of personal ministry. And uh, I'd love to see that happen tonight where we can actually uh, release you to do some ministry. And tomorrow there'll be uh, twice as many people here and they're coming with needs. And uh, uh, we want you to be used by God to minister to those needs. We know this, it was never in the heart of God that you'd come to church and sit in a pew and listen to someone else speak for uh, you know, an hour and a half and then go home. He didn't die for you just to do that. He wants and expects you to be used by him and to multiply the life that he's given. Everything he's given, he's given you faith. And if you keep that faith to yourself, you'll lose it. You have to give it away. Uh, I meet people all the time, you know, uh, I'll say, oh, how, how long have you known the Lord? And they'll say, well, 25 years. 25 years? You've known Jesus for 25 years. In 25 years, how many people have you led to him? And, and, and they say, none. I said, back up. We missed something here. How long have you known Jesus? And they'll say, 25 years. Well, in 25 years, how many people have you led to know Jesus the way you know Jesus? And they say, none. There's a, it's not possible. I mean, something's, something's amiss. Uh, everything that he's given to you uh, needs to be given away. If you've been given the, the powerful, wonderful Holy Spirit, it's your, it's your right, it's your privilege, it's your responsibility to lay hands on people and give away the Holy Spirit in a decent and orderly way. Everything that you've been given, the way grace is multiplied, is it has to be given away. So when God breathed into Adams, he made him a life-giving being, which meant he had life in him that could be multiplied so that when he reproduced himself in his children, the life that was breathed in the nostrils of Adam could actually be transferred into his children. So he became a life-giving being, a life-reproducing being. And we want to be a life-giving church that takes the life from God and gives that away. And so uh, let me just share some things tonight that will make that uh, more desirable, more practical uh, the first place to look is Jesus, of course. So let's go to him. We want to honor the Lord Jesus. If you go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In verse 14, John noted that Jesus came full of grace and truth. So Jesus came full of grace and truth. We know, that's, we know that's true. Uh, no one came with more grace, more power, more gifts than Jesus, and he came certainly full of truth. But look at verse 16, and it says, And of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. So he didn't come full of grace and full of truth for him. He came full of grace and truth to give it away. So when Paul wrote in Ephesians about, in chapter 4, about Jesus ascending and giving gifts to men, what I take from that is he didn't take any of the grace that he came with back to heaven. It's in the earth. He didn't take any of the truth back to heaven with him. It was deposited in the earth. Uh, you don't need the gifts of spirit in heaven. Even the leaves on the trees can heal people in heaven. Uh, can you imagine having the gifts of spirit in heaven where everything's revealed and you're a prophet? I mean, 
and God can speak for himself, how frustrating would that be? You'd never get to... You'd never get to prophesy. Can you imagine having the gift of discerning of spirits in heaven? <laughs> Can you imagine being an evangelist in heaven? How horrible that would be. I mean, we don't need the gifts of spirit in heaven. They're, they're in the earth. What I understand is God sent Jesus full of grace and truth. All that was deposited in earthen vessels and the same gifts that Jesus came and released, the same truth that he came and released, released, has never left the earth. They've been moved from heart to heart, home to home, generation to generation. They're in the earth today. They're in people. We're, our, we're his banks. We're his storage bin. We're, we're the containers of grace. We're earthen vessels filled with glory, filled with grace that came from Jesus. And it's the same. It's not diluted. It's not watered down. It's the same grace. And so if it's true, if it got into the 12 and then the 120 and then it kept multiplying 3,000 and it's just spread throughout the earth. But it's the same grace. He didn't take any of it to heaven. He didn't come to full of, full of truth just to say, hey, I'm full of truth. Look at all the truth I've got. He actually came to give that to us, and it was deposited here. One of the last things he prayed is, his Father, the truth that you gave me, I've left, I've given to them. And so, verse 16, let me read in a, in a translation called the Amplified Bible. Listen, listen to this. It just makes it come alive. Listen to this. <clears throat> For out of his fullness... And it puts in brackets, abundance, have we all received. All had a share, all were supplied with grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. You get this idea of like pancakes being stacked up. And so he, he gave us grace, but it wasn't just some kind of meager amount. It was abundance. And we all want abundance. And it is one gift upon another, one blessing, one spiritual, one, one favor heaped upon favor. I mean, he's loaded it upon us, but it's not just for us. It's not like a Boy Scout that has a sash with all these badges on it and say, I got this gift, I got this gift, I got this grace, I got this moment of favor. That's all to be extended. Even forgiveness, all the forgiveness we receive he tells this amazing parable about this guy that was forgiven of a huge amount of money, but then he goes out and he gets a hold of this guy who owes, owed him a little bit of money and shook him and said, give me everything you owe me. Jesus said, or the, the story is, you've been forgiven all this and you don't, you don't extend it to other people. It needs to be given away. So every grace we've been given has to be given away. There's stuff, if you sit on it, you'll lose it. It won't be there when you want it. So let's, let's follow this idea of giving away grace. And the, the biblical term for giving away grace is called impartation. So Romans chapter 1. Let's go there. Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Paul has never been to the church at Rome. He didn't start it. But he's on his way there. He's been trying to get there. And he says, I long to be with you that I may impart to you. That's the word, impart. It means giving away grace. I long to be with you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. 
And then he goes on, he says, not that I would just give to you, but you'd also give to me. There'd be this mutual edification. So Paul saw that they had grace that he needed because nobody has it all. So, but listen to what he says. He said, I can't wait to get among you that I may impart to you spiritual gifts. Here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, I can't wait to get to Rome to be with you and you press into your prayer closet and get all the gifts you can and then when I come, we'll celebrate. He didn't say that. The way he saw himself is he saw himself loaded with gifts that he could give away everywhere he went and that when he got to Rome, all heaven was going to break out and people were going to see, receive a shot in the arm spiritually. He says, I can't wait to get there because I know what's going to happen. God's going to squeeze me like a sponge and grace is going to pour out all over you. And, and the stuff that you have from the Lord uh, is going to be mutual benefit to me. He says, I can't wait for this to happen. Your faith is going to do something to my faith. When God gives you something, now you've got something to give away. If he sets you free in a certain area from a certain bondage, now you've got something to give away. Now you have authority. You can extend that everywhere you go. And, and you can make it so that the devil will pull the hair out of his head saying, I wish I never touched that kid because he's just tearing up and down my kingdom. Everywhere he goes, he's giving away the grace that he got from I tried to bind him up and tried to ruin his life. God turned all that around, set him free, and now he's setting all kinds of people free. What have you been set free from? That, that's where you're authorized now to do something. It's not a disqualifier. It authorizes you. So Paul believed that he had something to give. What do you have? What do you have that God gave you? It's not for you alone. It's not for you to feel good about yourself. It's not for you to, to celebrate his grace just for you. It's for you to give away. And Jesus said, and Paul wrote about it, or Luke wrote about it in the book of Acts, he says it's better to give than it is to receive. There's one thing better than being saved, and that's sitting at a at a coffee table with someone else. I just did this the other night. I led these people into a prayer of salvation where they could actually give their lives to Jesus. It's one thing for me to be saved, but for him to use that in my life to help other people come to know Jesus doesn't get any better than that. What's better than you getting baptized in the Spirit is you laying hands on someone and you feel, you feel them begin to tremble like, a, like water being poured into a glass tumbler and you can feel the Holy Spirit coming inside of them, you can never forget that. You can never be the same. There's one thing better than you being healed is that you laying hands on people and with the faith that came from that experience and you lay hands on them and they get healed and you see their eyes moist up and, and they, their lips begin to tremble with gratitude to God. That's, that's, now you're cooking with gas. Now you can go somewhere. The idea that you would come to church and sit in a pew is, is so far from the, the mind of God when he saved you. Uh, there's, there's lots of way to die. You know, you could die by malaria. You could die, uh, you know, some mission field. And, uh, you can die lots of different ways. 
But the worst death I could imagine is, is death by pew. <laughs> you come to church and just sit in a pew and die. That, that's the worst kind of death. Amen? So let's talk about this impartation. It's not something you can decide. It's by the, as the Spirit wills. We read that in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Uh, but there's, impartation comes three different ways that I see in Scripture. One is by example. The more you spend time with someone, the more you become like them. Uh, in Proverbs, it says, don't, don't be friends with an angry man lest you become like him. So don't be friends with a lustful man lest you become like him. Don't be friends with a greedy man. You could, you could respectfully take out the word anger and you could put almost anything in there. Uh, and it's true. You could also say, make friends with a generous man and you'll become like him. Make friends with a filled man. The way, the way to choose a church is you find people who are going where you want to end up and, the, and you go with them. You find the people who have something that, that you're lacking and you go with them because as you're with them, an impartation will happen, and you could become like them. It happens all the time. It's one of the most common impartation examples we see in Scripture. That's why Jacob stripped the rods, uh, the popular trees. He put, uh, took a knife, and he put spots and stripes on them and put them in the stream. And when the sheep came to drink and they bred, they end up with spots and stripes because as sheep, we become like what we look at. That's one reason we shouldn't go to a church where the, the pastor is full of himself and arrogant and unloving and critical and negative because if you go there, you become like him. It's impartation. So the most, I mean, uh, there's this point where the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin had called the disciples in front of him to give an account because this man had been healed. And these young men were standing there, and they said, we forbid you to do this anymore, and you're no longer to preach in the name of Jesus, you're not to say anything more. And they stood there, and they said, what's better, to obey you or to obey God? And these guys in the Sanhedrin got in a huddle, and they said, who do these guys remind you of? We've seen, we've seen this before, because they spoke with boldness, but with deep humility. There wasn't an ounce of rebellion in what they're saying. There's no sense of contempt. It was honor, yet they resisted what was being said. They said, well, who, who, who do you know that talks this way? Everybody else who comes before the Sanhedrin turned to jello. They turned to mush. They can't even speak up. They just are so intimidated. They just stand there and tremble. They can't even think of what to say. These guys stand there at ease with a confidence that says, we're, we're banned God rather than you. They said, who? and they're in this huddle. They said, who do they remind you of? And one guy said, they've been with Jesus. It's, it's the way Jesus always spoke to us, drove us crazy. We couldn't budge him. Yet he spoke with such freedom, and, and there's no contempt, there's no anger, there's no sullenness in his face. He spoke with this kind of honor. They, they remind us of Jesus. I said, yes, yeah, of course. They're disciples of, of Jesus. They look like him. Well, the way they got that is the more time you spend with someone, the more you look like you look like him. It's called impartation. That's why little boys, if you see them, you know, walking with their cowboy boots on and their, their blue jeans and the way their hat's half sideways on their head, and then you look at the dad, and that's exactly the way he's walking down the street. That's impartation. They've just spent time looking at dad. 
That's the number one way, the most common way the impartation happens is by proximity. The second most common way is by speaking it. And Jesus did that. He would speak things into people, even speaking healing into people. But he would speak it. And that's why prophecy is such a valuable thing. You start prophesying, and the people actually become what you prophesy. They get it. It's transferred from heart to heart prophetically. And we just, all the time, we see it where uh, Moses did this. He pronounced blessings on people. Uh, and an impartation happened. The one I want to get to tonight is, is uh, the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands where I have grace, but if I put my hands, it's kind of like putting jumper cables on someone else's heart, and whatever's inside of me can actually move from me to them through the laying on of hands. So I'd like to spend the remainder of the evening tonight talking about that. If you go to Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, if you start in verse 1, you go down to verse 5, uh, he says, uh, we're going to leave off with uh, the most basic things now. There are several basic uh, fundamental doctrines that we all believe, they're, they're, they're elementary. He said, we're going to leave off with those. If we can, we're going to go on to some, some deeper things. But he lists what some of those basic doctrines are, and one of them is laying on of hands. Yeah, for the life of me, I can't think of a single sermon I've ever heard about laying on of hands. It's really, really basic. But so much of the church don't, don't know anything about it. They don't know why they do it. They, they've, uh, I mean, our little kids, we've never taught them how to lay hands on anybody, but they do it. They do it to each other. They do it. One time we had a, a tent meeting. We had a guest speaker, and it was uh, before the meeting, you know, the worship team is uh, uh, practicing, and crowds starting to come, and, and he was there pacing at the back of the church, and the little kids came up to him, and they said, Pastor Bill, can we pray for you? These are just little kids. And they say, Pastor Bill, can we pray for you? He, he thought that was so cute. He said, why, sure. And they said, come on down here. So he got down on his knees. He said, they laid hands on me, and they read my mail. They started prophesying and praying over him. And he gets up, and I watched him. He's back there wiping his eyes. He said, Jesus spoke through these little kids. We never trained them to do that. We've never taken five minutes to tell them how to do it or, or that they are to do it. Or they're just, they're, it's an impartation. They just see it happen Sunday by Sunday, and so they do it. It's caught, not taught. I want to be, like be in a church like that, don't you? Where it's normal. It's normal that grace would tra travel from one heart to another. So he writes this as laying on of hands is just basic. It's elementary. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you some, some ways that I know uh, that people don't know what laying, a, laying on of hands really involves. When, when you lay hands on someone and you give them a massage, you don't know what laying on of hands is. There are people who give them a Pentecostal massage uh, I've seen people pat their heads and rub their bellies to give them the Holy That means that they don't understand laying on of hands. Uh, when you try to cram something into them, that means you don't understand the principle of laying on of hands. 
Uh, when you hold your hand three inches away, it, it means you don't know what land out of hands is. And I see this everywhere I go, so and I, I think it's because there's a lack of teaching as to what that really involves. Uh, we were in India one time, and probably about 150 people came forward, tribal people came forward for the baptism of the Spirit. There's one other white guy and myself, we're praying for people, and 150 people is a lot of people to pray for, and they all expect to speak in tongues, and so, because they've read the Bible, and they just believe that that's part of it, and so we're laying hands, well, after a while, he got kind of bored, I looked over at him, and he's kind of like leaning on their head like you'd lean on a fence post, <laughs> he's kind of like, he's off looking around, and I, I try to get his attention, <laughs> you have to be intentional. Uh, laying on of hands, you're putting your hands on someone's head, does nothing. Nothing. Unless you believe. You have to believe. It takes faith. You must believe that Jesus will slip his hand inside of your hand, and he'll actually touch them. They'll feel his love, power from the Holy Spirit that Jesus activates will actually go through them and touch them and heal them and set them free. You have to believe. It really is an act of faith. Just the action of laying on of hands does nothing. So we'll say, let's lay, you know, lay hands on each other. And there's this nice little pat on the, on the shoulder. It just tells me they really don't know what to do. And, and uh, uh, we were at the, the meetings in Toronto when the Toronto Blessing was happening. And people would stand in front of each other and they would... They would kind of like, with their hand, they'd kind of like splash uh, water on them, except there is no water. They're just standing there going like this. So there's a question and answer period with the pastor. And they asked the pastor, why do your people go like this when they're praying for people? He says, because they're improperly trained. Because this does nothing. But they saw someone doing it. It looked kind of cool. And so now impartation takes place, and they start splashing nothing on people. <laughs> I was in a meeting in Argentina one time, and there was a false prophet that was there. And uh, we were meeting in this old barn, and uh, he got excited at one moment. He says, the gifts are falling, the gifts are falling. Just reach up and take them. Take as many as you want. Take whatever you want. The gifts are falling right now. Reach out and take them. And people just started grasping the air. And that's all they got, a handful of air, because the gifts of the Spirit don't come that way. They come through impartation. Either someone prophesies it into you, someone lays hands on you, or through proximity, there's some kind of gradual impartation depending on the grace. But it doesn't, they don't fall out of the sky. And they don't, they don't come from God in your prayer closet. You work at... Uh, convincing God that you want these in your prayer closet, but then when he imparts them, he imparts them publicly, often through the laying on of hands. That's why Paul said, uh, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's within you that was given to you through the laying on of hands and prophecy. They're the two number one ways of impartation of gifts, through the laying on of hands and prophecy. So when we ask people to lay hands on people, we want them to actually do it in a, in a decent and honorable way. And if, and if you're just there shaking their head, all they're going to be thinking about is how messy their hair is going to look when you're all done. And they're not, they're not going to think about Jesus. They're not going to get anything. 
They're just going to get sweaty. So we say, just lay your hand very simply, very simply, and sometimes on the side of their heads. That way, if they fall down, there's no, no way that uh, it's through manipulation because you've pushed them down. One time we practiced pushing each other down. We got, we got the biggest guys in the room. We said, just stand there. Don't do anything. Just stand there. Close your eyes. And I said, watch how easy it is to push them down. And the, no Holy Spirit, no Holy Spirit was even involved. Just a little gravity. And you give them a little push, and they could not stay up. They all fell down. So I said, you try it, just so you can. And they were pushing each other down, and people just laying all over the place like pickup sticks. But it was all through gravity. So we don't want them just to manipulate that. We don't want them to push against their chest or their, their forehead. We want them to lay hands very firmly, intentionally, gently, but intentionally, believing. You must believe. Nothing will happen unless you believe Jesus is going to put his hand in your hand. You must have faith. And we tell people who are being prayed for, the moment you feel a hand on your head, that's the moment you receive. It's that point of contact that once you, once you feel a hand, forget, don't think of it as a disciple, don't think of it as brother so-and-so, don't think of it as sister so-and-so in church. Think of it as Jesus laying hands on you. Receive it as Jesus because it is. It really is. If you will believe, it is. Well, then you can receive from Jesus. It's no different than if Jesus, that's why we feel his love and feel his presence when someone lays hands on us. It's, it's him. It's the way he does it. It's the way he's been doing it for 2,000 years. But you have to intentionally do it. Uh, we'll say, lay your hand just maybe on their shoulder, uh, but, but be very discreet. We don't want them... Uh, mindful of you. We don't want them, we don't want your Roman hands. We don't want you to squeeze them. We don't want you to uh, pinch them. We don't want you to put your hands in inappropriate places so that all they're thinking about, they're not receiving from Jesus. All they're thinking about is you. Another reason why to take a breath in as well, because we want them to receive from Jesus and not be thinking about you. But it's intentionality. That's the goal of it. Lay hands with intentionality. Uh, and sometimes I, I found myself, I was down in Chile and Argentina quite a, quite a uh, long time, and I found that uh, Jesus wanted to touch them. I remember one guy walking down the aisle, and I heard Jesus in my heart said, saying, I, I've been wanting to lay my hands on this guy for the longest time. And I, I, it so moved me. He, this guy doesn't look like a church guy, and he's coming in, he's rough, and he's walking down the aisle toward me. When I laid my hands on him, it was like Jesus just, just poured into him an abundance. He just melted in the presence of the Lord because I could feel Jesus' passion for him. That's why you got to kind of get out of your own comfort zone and actually let Jesus love through you and touch through you and speak through you and pray through you. It changes everything. Jesus wants to lay hands on people through you. He wants to communicate. I'm a grandfather of nine. I have three children. And even my boys are taller than me. One of them is going to be 40 this month. I mean, they're big guys. But anytime I'm around them, I'm, I can't keep my hands off them. I'm, I'm communicating how much I love them. And I just, I, I just want to touch them. I just want to communicate my affection for them. Well, God's the same way. He wants to communicate 
through touch as well. He wants to communicate his heart. I found that the longer I left my hand on, on their head, that sometimes there'd be a wave of his glory that would touch them, and they'd begin to tremble. They'd feel beloved of God. And then I would take my hand off, and it would go away. And so I thought, well, I'm going to put that back on there. And I'd put it back, and another wave would come. And some of them didn't know the Lord at all. But as I left my hand on them, wave after wave would melt them. And then I would see them uh, just sitting off the side, totally lost in the presence of the Lord because they're still feeling. One person came to me and said, you know, I went to bed last night and I could still feel Jesus' hand on my head. I went to sleep with his hand on my head. That feeling never left me. We want that to happen. We don't want them to think about us. We want them to, th- to think about Jesus and being beloved. Most healing happens from the inside out. It happens with an awareness of God's love for us. So it's really important that he communicate his touch. You know, notice the leper. He touches the leper before he speaks to him. He lays hands on the leper. Then he said, be healed. I think that's the pattern. I think, I think he wants to touch it's, it opens their heart. It trips their heart. It, they have a sense of Jesus. And then you speak something. That's impartation. Next thing you know, the man is completely set free. So where you lay your hands on them is really important. Some people think it's really important to lay hands on where the boo-boo is, wherever they're hurting. I, I'm not one of them. I, if they've got a bad knee, I don't necessarily lay hands on that knee. I could lay hands on their head. It doesn't matter. It's, it's my belief that Jesus is touching them. Uh, if, if I thought for their sake that it was important that I put my hand on their back if their back was sore, sometimes I'll do that as a point of contact so that they feel something happening at their point of need. But to me, it's not imperative that it happen at their point of need. I get among gypsies in Portugal and Spain and they, Horrible diseases, unbelievable diseases. And if you put your hand on every place they told you there is a disease, you'd have a theological breakdown. And so you just have to say, I'm just going to lay my hand on their head and just let a bolt of lightning from God go right through them and touch every part of their being. That's, that's what you want to have happen. The Holy Spirit's imparted through laying on of hands. Can it happen with someone in their prayer closet at home? I think it can. I think there's accounts of that. It can happen. It can actually fall on a room. And uh, I've read accounts where it's fallen on large groups of people, modern day times. But the most common way, I mean, they sent Peter and, and John down to Samaria to lay hands on them for the Holy Spirit had fallen on none of them yet. So they laid hands on them and they actually gave away the Holy Spirit. I think, I think something that would change your Christianity is for you to receive the Holy Spirit, but then to give the Holy Spirit away. I, if I were you tonight, now listen, uh, this, is what I would t- this is the takeaway from the sermon. I would, I'd go home and I'd say, Jesus, between now and Easter, I want to lead someone to the Lord, and I want to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, and I want to lay hands on somebody and have the Holy Spirit that's in me jump from my heart to their heart through the laying on of hands. I want to do this. I don't want, I don't want another uh, year to go by. Between now and Easter, give me opportunities and I'll step out. I'll do it. It's a powerful thing to have a sense of the Holy Spirit flowing through you into the life of somebody else. And you can't impart something you don't have. 
So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't give the Holy Spirit. If you don't have salvation, you can't give salvation. It has to be something you've already been given. But it will change your Christian experience. I remember when I first met the Lord, I started laying hands on the sick, started casting out demons, and I started laying hands on hands for people to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And I didn't know anybody else. There was no one else in my church that I was aware of who was doing this. And if I waited for the crowd to do it, it would never have happened. And so everywhere I went, if I got on a train or a city bus, I was just looking for an opportunity to extend Jesus to people. And the most amazing thing, the more I was looking, the more active I was, the more I found. If I went to the grocery store, somebody would take a seizure right in front of me. It just happened every time I went somewhere. It seemed like there was an opportunity to extend Jesus everywhere I went. I think it was kind of like a, if you picture a, a plywood uh, map with these lights on it, these little red bulbs and little green bulbs, and God's looking to organize to move people toward a point of need, and he sees who's hungry, who's open, and he's looking to get green lights to go to the red lights, but if you're just a red light yourself, and you're not really on, or you're not really uh, activated, he won't move you to a point of need. But someone else is saying, Lord, use me today. Use me today. I want to be a light for you. I want to be a witness for you. He'll move you into a point of need where you can actually extend grace, the grace of Jesus to somebody else. He wants to do that. He wants us to lay hands on children. He wants to bless children. Uh, we had a little guy who was assigned to a gal in our church. She was a piano uh, teacher, and she worked in the school system. And I'm not sure how this happened, but the, the teachers came to her. This kid was five or six years old, and they, they came and they said, nobody wants him in their classroom anymore. They don't want him in school. He's so violent. He's so vulgar. He swears. He has anger issues. He's, he's violent. He hurts every kid around him. And they said, we can't let him in our classes anymore. We're going to assign him to you. She's a young Christian going to our church. In fact, she was a Baptist at the time. This was all new for her. And so she called me. She said, what do I do? I said, lay hands on him any chance you can, but do it in a way that he doesn't even know you're doing it. You don't have to, you don't have to do Pentecostal style. You don't have to do that. I said, Get him at the piano sitting beside you. Just put your hand on his back. And you could even look at him like saying, isn't it a nice sunny day? But rather than that saying, in Jesus' name, you'll have no more authority over this boy. And you can say it with a smile. You can say it in a non-Pentecostal way. You don't have to get the shananas in there. You don't have to do any of that. I just said, just any chance you can touch him, any chance you can just put your hand on his head, even for a second, believe, believe that Jesus will touch him. Believe this. And he will. Jesus will. Well, she started doing that. She'd sit him beside him, and she'd lay hands on him, and she'd speak to the devil in the kindest, sweetest voice because she didn't want to rattle this little kid. He got totally set free. He was able to go back into the school system. The, the faculty, they're saying, what happened? What did you do? He's a completely different boy. The only person who is livid, who is really, really upset at what happened was the kid's dad. He came storming in. He says, what did you do to my kid? 
And the, and the dad's storming in with anger, and he's swearing, and he's vulgar, and he's violent. And now the little kid's able to go back in the school. And now the dad's upset because he, he realizes something has changed. Lay hands on people. But do it in a, do it in a, in a normal way that doesn't attract attention to you or doesn't make a big deal about it. Watch and see what happens. Shall we practice? If you're not comfortable with this, I just want you to stay seated. But if you'll let us pray for you, something will happen. When I lay hands on people, I just do it very, very simply. I don't shake rattle or roll. I don't do any, anything that would draw attention to myself. And when I pray, I step back in my heart and I say, Jesus, give me something to pray. What would you pray through me? And here's the other thing. Can I just throw this out? I, I, somehow I felt this has come to my mind several times tonight. What I'd rather we do is a short burst of prayer rather than a long prayer where they, they're not going to remember anything that you say. And I, it'd be better to have three short, powerful sentences of prayer than, than one really long page of prayer. There, it, it, the longer you're doing it, it's going to be reduced in impact. And so I, I, think, I think short prayers and short prophecies are the best. So I would just rather that you just... Pray and, and watch and see what comes to your mind. The, I'll often do this. The moment I lay hands on something, to me, that's a holy moment. To, the, to me, I'm letting Jesus touch through me. And I'm mindful of what goes through my mind in that moment. Like I have a line of thinking, you know, one thought leads to another. And if I get a thought in that moment when I lay hands, that is totally out of that line of thinking, a picture or a thought, I think that's something I need to speak out for them. If it's something that's not in line with my natural pattern of thinking, and all of a sudden you get a picture. I remember John Wimber one time, he was laying hands on people and pray, prophesying over him. He said, I laid hands on this woman. And he says, all of, a, all of a sudden I saw a breast. He says, oh, oh Lord, now I'm getting dirty thoughts. And all of a sudden he saw the breast, almost like a flower, just open up. And there's this an insidious disease in the breast. And he says, lady, you have breast cancer? And she had just been diagnosed. And she said, yes, I had just been diagnosed. He laid hands on her. Well, when that happens, and then you lay hands on him, guess what's going to happen? He said, they're going to be healed. And their faith... Their faith goes up. I think the reason God invented laying on of hands, it's called a, a point of contact. The moment that they feel a warm hand on them, that's the moment they can actually receive. It's like uh, oil, when they poured oil. The oil didn't heal anybody. But the moment you feel oil on you, it trips your faith. It releases your faith. Even the fragrance of, it, fragrance of it will release your faith. Holy water does nothing. But I'll tell you, you put oil or water or a cloth on someone, the moment that they're believing, it's, it's not the object. It doesn't even matter. Uh, Jesus would spit and, and make clay and put it on people's eyes 
The spit had nothing to do with it. The clay had nothing to do with it. It's, it's the feeling of something happening to them. That's the moment that it releases their faith. That's what we want to see happen. So sometimes when, the, when someone's up there, and I can tell that they're not used to this, they're not really uh, quite engaged with me, I won't lay hands on them. Not because the Bible says lay hands on no one suddenly. I think that's talking about ordination. But I want to know that they're ready. So I'll talk with them. And there's this moment and I'll say, I'll often say this. Do you believe that Jesus, if he touched you right now, if he was standing right here and he touched you right now, you'd be healed? And they say, yeah, I, I believe that would happen. I said, when I pray in the name of Jesus, that's Jesus healing through me. Would you, the moment I lay my hands on you, would you receive in that moment Jesus healing? And if they say yes, I just go for it and lay hands on them and believe that in that moment something will happen. If I can get them to come with me believing that, it'll happen. I wish I could say that it happens instantly every time. It doesn't. I wish I could say that uh, there's always a bolt of lightning or some feeling. There isn't. When the feelings are there, I ride them out. When they're not there, I just go by faith. I was in India one time and just arrived in this village and they said, do you want to see the church building? And I, so I went to see the church building, which didn't take long. It was smaller than this, just a mud hut. And uh, we walked in and just then this, they brought in this boy and he was so weak he could hardly stand. His eyes were hardly open and he was just, uh, his skin was all pasty colored and they brought him, his hairs in his, in his face, they brought him in, they stood him in front of me and they said, Pastor, would you pray for him? And I said, what, what's wrong with him? And they said, it's, it's, he has a fever, it's malaria. And so uh, this is my first five minutes in, in town and I'm the big speaker for that night. And I lay my hands on him, I don't feel anything. I lay my hands on him and pray that God would heal him. I pray for healing for him based on Mark 16 where Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. So I laid hands on him. He took two or three steps back, hit the wall and just slid down the wall with his hands resting on his knees. Terrible start. I mean, he looked worse. He just collapsed. And I said, well, let's go, guys. And they said, well, wait a minute, there's another. And they brought in a, a miniature boy looking exactly like him, same kind of condition. He could hardly walk. They brought him in. They stood in front of me. And I'm looking at I said, didn't you just see what happened? I've got, I've got nothing. I, it didn't happen the way I was hoping, wanting it to happen. Didn't you just see that? That's what I'm thinking on the inside. And they said, pastor, pastor, pray for him too. So Jesus, have mercy. And I laid my hands on him. Have mercy. And I prayed the best prayer I knew to pray, the most sincere prayer I knew to pray. And he also collapsed. Nothing looked like anything was happening. They took me to my room where I could rest before the meeting. And, I, and I'm stressed now because this is not the way to start a campaign for healing. That night, we all gathered in the house. The place was jammed, packed. The worship team's going at it. The bongos, the drums are happening. Everything's happening. And we're standing there. And all of a sudden, this young boy came in. And he looked in front of me. He stood in front of me. He says, thank you, Pastor. 
And he was completely normal, completely healed. And I, this is the boy. And then he got, I watched him, and he went, took two or three steps forward and got down, put his face on the ground, and started worshiping Jesus for being healed. I was stunned because I felt nothing. Another minute, this other little boy comes in, and he says, thank you, Pastor, I'm feeling so much better. And he was perfectly normal. He also bowed down, worshiped the Lord. It could never be can never forget something like that. It's not about feelings, although if there are feelings, enjoy them. It's about faith. 